episode 34 of the Tactical Breakdown Podcast. Today we're talking communication and listening from the eyes of a negotiator. Let's get into it. Welcome to the Tactical Breakdown, a podcast for law enforcement, military, and emergency response professionals. Stand by. Where we help you bridge the gap and talk training, tactics, and leadership with the best subject matter experts in the world. Here is your host, Adam Kanakin. All right, welcome back to the podcast. I'm excited to be here with you today. Obviously, there's a lot of crazy things going on in the world. So first and foremost, I hope that you and your family and your fellow officers and everyone around you is healthy and uh, will remain healthy during this crisis. And, um, you know, on our end with with my family and friends, everyone is doing all right. So um, I'm excited to be able to continue putting out content and uh, actionable, useful information to you. Uh, If you're an instructor or trainer, if you're in law enforcement, correction, security, the military, this is the podcast for you to be on. And so make sure that you're subscribed so that you're going to get access to all of these episodes as we roll them out. If you check out the website, thebreakdown.ca, we have just released our new site. We're still in our beta version, but uh, depending on when you're listening to this, the whole site might be up. We're going to be releasing new pages and new resources every every couple weeks, so make sure to stay tuned for that as well. Now, on today's show, I'm excited. I have a buddy of mine, and we took a little while to get this thing squared away. So my guest today is Dan Oblinger. Now, Dan is a crisis negotiator. He has over two decades in law enforcement. He has written two books, Life or Death Listening and The 28 Laws of Listening. And he is a contract trainer for the NTOA, the National Tactical Officers Association. He has a business called Leadercraft, and he provides training and consulting for private sector as well as law enforcement agencies. He's a fantastic speaker, very well-spoken, very sharp, knows a lot of things when it comes to communication and listening specifically for law enforcement officers. So that's what we're going to get into today. I hope you enjoy the content. So let's get down on the line. Here we go. All right, Dan, thank you so much for joining me today, my man. I, uh, I appreciate it. Calling in from all the way down in the southern U.S. Um, I think the difference in temperature right now, we were just talking, is about, uh, ooh, I don't know. It'd have to be, I have to split this now in two different ways for people. So yes. we're probably talking 40 degrees Celsius difference and probably 70 degrees, no, 30, 50, 50 degrees Fahrenheit difference Yes, uh, for the, our friends down in the U.S. So yes. uh, thanks for calling in, man. I appreciate it. I love it, man. I'm pleased to be joining you from the... The endless prairies of Kansas. I'm blessed to be here. <laughs> That's awesome. I'm in the endless prairies of uh, Winnipeg, Manitoba. Um, so uh, that's awesome, dude. Uh, you were saying like your area is so rural um, that uh, you know that's something that's it's really interesting because you get those huge discrepancies um, when you're when especially I get to talk to law enforcement officers all around uh, Canada, and the U.S., and around the world, and there's some major differences when we talk about. Um, the way things are done in rural law enforcement versus in, you know, uh, built up metropolitan centers. So uh, mm-hmm. it's super interesting. Um, and I'm excited to have you on the call and to, to talk about it. Yeah, I, this is going to be a great conversation. Let's do it. Right on, brother. So listen, a lot of your background um, and most recently, I know you've done 10, 11 years now as a, as a negotiator. And that was something super interesting. And so I'm excited to have you on and talk about it. So Right now, I mean, from from what I know, you're going around um, and you're you're teaching and training um, some civilian contract stuff, but also a lot with law enforcement. And you're you're going around it and teaching and training. Can you tell us a little bit about what you're doing? Yeah, so it's um, it's kind of like I have a clicker and I will travel, and so doors start opening and the phone starts ringing. Uh, I'm a contract negotiator for NTOA on their CNT cadre for the crisis negotiations team. I also um, love to speak at state associations or regional associations of negotiators uh, all across the U.S. And I've also, again, been blessed to do some work in the private sector as well. That can be really lucrative if you know what you're doing uh, or just fun if you don't. I I won't say which one I am. (laughs) 
<laughs> I do, but you know, my, my greatest joy is giving back to my home agency and just training up people and building up those skill sets for persuasion and influence and de-escalation at home, um, both on my negotiation team itself, but also we've, we've done a ton of work in the last two years of trying to push our skill set as far as it can go all throughout our agency and to any other agency around us who are responding to the same calls in our metro area. So although I do work in a rural area, um, uh, I should say I live in a rural area, I work in a metropolitan area, so about a half a million people. Wow. It's it's really interesting. You have a vast amount of experiences in your law enforcement career already, you know, everything from doing general patrol all the way up through your negotiating and, you know, doing things like uh, critical incident response, some undercover stuff and things mm-hmm. like that. It's really interesting. I'd love to get your thoughts on dealing with critical incidents. And we talk about negotiating and we talk about communication, I guess, would be a, a great term to use. There's a lot of things that even the like a general patrol officer can utilize when it comes to communication and a lot of in a, just a variety of incidents and call outs. Are there anything specifically that you think that you'd like to talk about when it comes to what every officer can be doing better when they get called out in, in terms of communication, in terms of utilizing all these special uh, psychological and negotiating communication tactics that you've learned throughout your career? So the principles and strategies that we use as crisis negotiators, and we were talking before this episode started, and I call it the three-ring circus. Like, okay, obviously that's what hostage negotiators do. If you have a hostage situation, you've got your inner perimeter, your outer perimeter, the CNT team arrives, the media is there, there's usually the Salvation Army with food and all the citizens, and that's what they make movies about. But those don't happen very often. What happens all the time is that one or two patrol officers roll up, stop a car, stop a guy walking, stop a bicyclist, come to the front door of a, of a structure, and they need to conduct an investigation, and they are met with someone who's not cooperative. And the same strategies and techniques, and we'll talk more about this, I hope, um, they translate very well to what you might call a granular negotiation. So there isn't the full-blown tactical call-out. But you have the same dynamic. You have the police trying to accomplish a life-saving or property-preserving or order-seeking activity. And you have an unknown on the other end. You have, you have a, a citizen whose intentions and motives are unknown. Their capabilities and their propensity for violence is unknown at this point. And we are, we are dancing. We're going through what I call the dance to try to figure out what's going to happen. And the skills that we use translate very well for those situations, too. In my mind, it's really interesting because, I mean, for for those who have had the opportunity to go through uh, interrogation courses, interviewing courses, and just learning different ways to to ask questions or or things not to ask is really important as well. Let's talk. You talked about techniques, man. Well, let's jump right into it. Let's go. Let's go start to finish. If uh, if we have a call, an officer responding to a call, and they got to get into a house. And uh, and they're being met at the door and, and the person's being uncooperative or whatever the situation is. What uh, what are some things that these officers can be doing right off the hop? Right off the hop, <clears throat> you got to think about the dynamics. This is where speaking to cops can really accelerate the training process. And I just want to talk about that real quick so we can put it in context. So for me, I think police work is a craft, whether you're Canadian or American, whether you're East Coast or West Coast or No Coast, whether it's rural or urban, it's a craft. Um, it's complex. There are a lot of interlocking skills. And if you don't put the time in and put the effort in to improving every day, uh, you can get hurt. And for me, the craft process begins with knowledge. And that's why the academy has to exist, right? Can't get away, go away from that. But it, it must become a skill where you have some capability. And if, if you really want to be resilient in that skill in the face of a stressful situation, like, I don't know, police work, uh, you have to make it a habit. It's just how you talk to people in, in the in the context of like de-escalation. So I see right right now the movement in our industry is we want to everyone's going to be a de-escalator, which is it's true. That's right. I agree. But all we're doing is we're throwing knowledge at cops. Right. There are very few programs that really are going to take it to the level of a skill with that kind of repetition, and there are very few cops that will be able to translate that into a habit. And what's interesting is that's what we do 
on a crisis negotiation team, if you have a well-run negotiator team, that's what they're doing is they are practicing constantly to build the habit of active listening and de-escalation and persuasion. So let's go back to your scenario. You're at the front door. You want to gain entry. Um, the, the dynamic here is people are generally cooperative unless what? Unless they're really emotional. And that could be an emotion that is resistant. They maybe they're concealing the crime or maybe no crimes occurred. You know, it's going to end up being a, a handled by officer kind of call, but they don't like the police or they don't like you or they just they just got off the phone with some somebody and, you know, they just lost some money. So when you encounter the emotion, that's where, like I said, the crisis negotiator stuff can kick in because we, we're really good at that. That's our jam. So I would tell a cop, if you encounter a citizen and you want to accomplish something with them, and that it could include, by the way, arresting them, and they're emotional, and you have way too many unknowns in your scenario at this point, then address the emotion first. And it's as simple as deciding what emotion's in your way and calling it out. And I, can, I could give you some examples, but it's as simple as saying, Adam, you seem angry, or Adam, you seem frustrated. And that's it. That's all you say. You don't try to tell them what to do. We're not even moving into verbal commands yet. And what I could, I mean, there's, there's parallels to this in your physical tactics. It may not be time to handcuff yet, but we're going to use another technique to soften him up. And that's what you're doing. You're drawing his attention to his own emotions instead of to you, your intentions, you know, your tools, your law enforcement function and tactics. And that's a much better place to be tactically is now he's focused on himself and how he's feeling. It's very hard to come up with a plan to take away your gun when you've got a subject thinking about that. I like the, I love that. And one of the terms that I love to use is tactical empathy. Perfect. <laughs> uh, That's exactly what it what is. I, yeah. So I'll, you know what, I'm, I'll let you, I'll let you go into it a little bit more. Cause um, I mean, uh, you, you have 10 times the amount of knowledge on this that I do. So um, maybe cause a lot of people that are listening to this, they're like, well, what do you mean? You know, just why acknowledge their, why acknowledge their emotion? Because there's there is a lot of reason behind it. So can oh, yeah. you maybe share a little bit as to as to why that's so important? So as a street cop, man, I want to be super elegant and efficient with how I work with people. Because if you're elegant, and by that, by that I mean you're keeping it simple, and you're astonishing people with how simple it can be. Um, and the efficiency is not moving in a straight line. You know, young cops. And I tend to favor old cops in these kind of situations because they don't want to go through the IA process, right? But the young cops are like, oh, I'm getting in this house. I have a legal justification to go in, right? But the old cop, maybe me, maybe I'm old now, Adam, I don't know. But uh, I'm like, how? what's the most efficient way for me to establish that there's nothing going on inside that house that needs to be addressed by law enforcement? What's the most efficient way? It's not going to be a straight line. The straight line goes right through the front door and through that person and straight to IA, right? I'm going to be elegant, which is I'm going to get that guy to trust me appreciate that I'm here. I'm not trying to, you know, be, make it personal with this, with him. Um, and I'm just a guy trying to do my job just like you, right? The, the most efficient way is he just lets me in, shows me everything I want to see, gives me his name. I found out he's got a warrant and we go to jail and he, he walks into handcuffs, right? That would be the most efficient way in kind of my made up scenario here. But the way that happens is you have to address the emotions first. Emotions for crisis negotiators, those must be addressed before we problem solve. And the problem you'll have with, with street cops that haven't seen that alternative dynamic is that everything's a problem to be solved. And efficiency mm -hmm. is all about straight lines and what's the shortest amount of time I could possibly spend on this call. And that's when you end up on a call for four hours. So uh, addressing the emotion is really powerful. And we know that um, as negotiators because it's been proven to us. And when you use a term like tactical empathy, I love it because I know exactly what it means. But when I talk about empathy, when we're training patrol officers in what we do so they can be better at these kinds of calls, we get resistance. We get resistance from young and old cops because we think that empathy means I must feel what you feel. And we don't want to do that. And actually, there's no tactical purpose to that. I'll just That's my experience. Mm -hmm. But if I can understand what you're feeling right now, then I have this huge opportunity where you'll tell me why. And that's where we actually start gathering critical risk assessment kinds of intelligence. That's where we start building a connection with that person where they're going to trust us more than anybody else. And we'll become the trusted advisor. And then they're going to tell us the truth. If you ever wondered about that, like why do we get lied to so much as police officers? Uh, when we take the time to build rapport, we don't get lied to. When we just ask questions and don't demonstrate a knowledge of the situation and tactical empathy for the person, 
they feel no obligation to tell us the truth. When we ask horrible, shitty questions, it's really easy to lie to. So you can see it kind of all wraps up into this idea of what if you could ask really simple questions that invite them to tell the story of why they're angry or why they don't want us to come in the house. And then the process, A, they'll trust us. B, the emotion begins to lose its power. And C, we gain incredible intelligence that can keep us and our partners safe. So that's, that's when, I, when I talk about tactile empathy and elegance, that's what it is. Awesome. I, I, love, I love talking about these things because, I mean, even something as simple as, you know, when we talk about ice, talking about interviewing and interrogation techniques, but I mean, every, every person should know that when you're, when you're trying to get information, um, unbiased information out of anybody, I mean, we need to be asking open-ended questions first. Um, and not nothing, nothing closed off, no, nothing leading. Um, and, but that comes into play, especially when, when those emotions are heightened. I mean, the, the effect of those questions is, is so much more evident. So if I'm, you know, if, if I can't, like you said, if you can't identify that emotion first and, and get that person to, because if you, if you start identifying with that emotion, with that person, you know, you're going to know real quickly because they're either going to be like, oh, yeah, OK. And and you're either going to see a de-escalation or you may see an escalation. But there could be no change. And if there's that, if that's the case, you have to you have to find a workaround and, and using these scripted playlists of like question A, question B, question C. Mm, it, yeah, it really it, it really puts you at a huge disadvantage. Yeah, you can't. That's the problem with scripting. And it, that's what gets us in trouble. Um, there, how can you script law enforcement? Like, how can you script a dynamic interaction between you and three subjects or two cops and five subjects or just you one on one? It's impossible because everybody's so different and emotions change. And in fact, emotions change in your subject, in, in your counterparty in law enforcement. As you're talking with them, one will be relieved and then another one comes to the surface. But emotions really are the huge opportunity that we get in law enforcement that maybe other industries don't get as often, but it's a huge opportunity to make a connection with somebody else. When we talk about active listening, which is how you can really accomplish tactical empathy, active listening is making a deep connection with somebody else using their story. And we come right back to this idea that when they're thinking about themselves and telling their story to you and giving you their emotions, which are wrapped up in the story, they're not planning their tactics while you're receiving that story and being very active, you can also be seeing all these tactical advantages and opportunities because they're the ones doing the hard work intellectually. You're receiving the story and processing it and reflecting upon it, but you're also seeing all the angles. Yeah, it's it's interesting. Um, it, it brings me back to um, actually a defensive tactics course that I took a long time ago. And I can't remember who the instructor was, but essentially um, the little gem that they spit out, it was, we were doing something like, I think we were doing disarms. So the the suspect had a, a gun pointed at your head or, or something like that right. from like a, within like the, the, the barrels within six inches or so from your face. Um, and uh, I, I mean, it's a no win scenario anyways, but you're sitting there. And the one thing he said was, he's like, if you're ever in this situation, he's like, what you want to do is ask them a question and get them to talk, like think about your answer and talk because if they're thinking and then talking um, and then having to come up with their answer and then give it back to you, their mind isn't on, I'm going to shoot this guy in the face. It's on whatever process their brain is going through to answer your question. And it gives you, you know, whether it's a hundredth of a second or a tenth of a second or whatever, that little bit of extra time can be, can be, uh, can mean the difference between life or death if you're actually going to make a move on somebody. So yeah, um, well, let me give you an example and I'll give you an example and it's from training, which might cause some people, oh, it's not a real example. No, I mean, listen to the actual context and think about what this means. So we were going through, and this is a, actually a fantastic also tactical scenario. So trainers pay attention, but we went through a simunitions evolution. And one of the scenarios is you're, you're brought into um, a room and a towel is placed over your head. So you're totally disoriented, but you're in full uniform and you're, they hand you a weapon. It's got some munitions in it. And when they pull, they tell you, you're going to handle a call of a, of, of a disturbance. That's all you know. When they, when they pull the towel off you, you're in a, a fairly small, it's a classroom actually in a school. And there's another guy in some munitions gear across from you. And they're set up like a bedroom. And 
he's pacing back and forth with his hands on his head and then hands on his hips, and he's clearly agitated. And what the scenario is, is they've given you a simunitions gun that, that does not have one in the chamber. And this guy is going to wait 10 seconds, and he's going to go over to the nightstand where there's a gun prominently displayed. But if you get too focused on him, you don't see the gun that's just maybe five feet to the left. And he's going to get it, turn and shoot at you. And when you draw, you're going to have a you're going to have a malfunction. So you have to clear that. And then, so it's totally a stress test. Well, what's interesting is, you know, find out later. What most cops do is they're giving the guy commands on what to do. You know, hey, stop moving, talk to me. You know, well, two negotiators, myself and my partner, went through that evolution, kind of that flight of officers going through that scenario. And the guy ended up being one of our SWAT guys that we know real well. And both of us did the same thing because we've trained so well. And although it's not scripted, we recognize this is a, an opportunity where we need to do an emotion label, which is what you and I already talked about in our front door scenario. And both of us picked the same one. We both said, hey, man, you seem real angry. And in both cases, the scenario player, he turns and he engages us and he says, yeah, I am. I am really angry. Now, bear in mind, he's not really angry. He's a, he's a scenario player. But he knows he's supposed to be angry. That's the role he's playing for the first 10 seconds. And he, and we both say, well, hey, what's got you angry so much right now? It, it, with a variation, right? I think he said, what's got you angry right now? I said, hey, what's got you angry right like tonight? And he, he, both times he starts trying to come up with a story of why he's so angry because they felt like it was just an honest question. And then he realizes it's like 11 or 12 seconds into the scenario. And he's like, shit. <laughs> and he runs over to get the gun. And in both cases... I would say, I know for myself and talk to my partner and then talking to the role player later, we both probably got two extra seconds in the scenario to recognize there was a gun in play and clear a malfunction. And you and I both know, and I bet almost all of your listeners know, man, that is everything in that scenario. Two extra seconds? That's exactly the time you need, and you bought it by tactical empathy. Mm-hmm. And so, again, it's not a real scenario, but here's a case where the guy's not actually angry, and he, and he has a mission. He's supposed to kill you in 10 seconds, and he's a SWAT-trained operator. But in both cases, the engagement that comes, the de-escalation that comes, the connection that comes from inquiring about an emotion and letting him tell his story, it bought you two seconds. To a civilian, they're like, that didn't change anything. And, but to a, somebody in our profession, like, that's everything. It's a great scenario. I like that. It's a great scenario, too. Like, I highly recommend that for stress inoculation. When we talk about you know, building out these scenarios. And this was actually something that came up in the conversation I had uh, with one of your cohorts there, uh, fellow negotiator, Dr. Andy Young. He was saying that, you know, they they build out and do these scenarios all the time. And it always really changes the game when you have somebody like yourself, like a, a trained negotiator who comes in and says, hey, you know what, let's actually run it in this in this way or in this fashion or add this element to it. Because everyone's so used to to running, you know, scenarios these dynamic simulations um but it's force on force and it's 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 like shoot don't shoot go no go right right hands on or don't and it's instead of let's add the emotional aspect to it you know there's and there's so many it's really interesting there's so many um companies that are coming out now um and i can think of a few that are developing specialized systems to help officers actually train um, in dealing with people with whether they're in some type of emotional or mm-hmm. you know mental distress or things like that, where it's it's not just a, as simple as you know you show up, this guy's got a gun, you have to get them into custody or or resolve the situation. It's now this person has a complex psychological issue, and if you play into it correctly, the role player and the person leading the training will allow that to play out to a, a better resolution than if you don't acknowledge it at all. Mm-hmm. So it's super, super interesting. Do you guys have any, anything that you're doing with your agency or with the training that you're conducting that, that leads to those types of scenarios? Yeah. So I'll just give you my kind of my philosophy behind training for these kinds of skills. Um, the first thing is anytime that you can collaborate, get your tactical instructors and your de-escalation instructors, whoever that is. Now, if you're not using your trained hostage negotiators as de-escalation trainers, my question is why? I mean, they're supposed to be the best of the best. Maybe they're not, okay? Then you should address that because that's a super high liability position. And if they're not up to like NICNA standards in the United States, if they're not up to the Canadian standards, then why? Well, we got to fix that. And if they're up to those standards, why wouldn't you want those people 
guiding the training of all of your folks on how to use their tactics when it's appropriate, like translating them for street encounters. Um, mm -hmm. So that's the first thing. So you need to start getting those folks in the same room, building out scenarios, building out practical exercises, because w what you really ideally want is anytime you're training to apply force, you're also training to use good verbal techniques all the way through that evolution, right? Because on the street, that's what we, what we don't want is uh, non-parallel tactics where we're either going to talk to them or we're going to hurt them, but we can't try to do both techniques at once. But that's what tends to happen because we train separately those skills. So in other words, if you're on the range, we should be practicing giving verbal commands and you can't just have people yell at paper. You need to give them a, a brief scenario and say, this is what the guy's doing. So think about what very brief, chunked, short, again, elegant verbal command you might try to give you know, as you're coming up on target, potentially taking a life. Because later on, we're all on camera, later on, that's going to show the professionalism. It's going to show that even at the last possible second, we were giving them a chance, even as we were, you know, doing the right thing. So, so that's one principle. The other principle that I think is really, I think is critical, is that if it's going to be real, make it real. But if you're not going to go all the way with realism, you don't want to create limitations in your training scenarios that aren't realistic. And I know there's a purpose to that, but what I advocate instead is if it's going to be an isolation exercise where we're going to force them to work on a skill that, that's not comfortable, just do an isolation exercise. Don't make it real. Uh, take it away from the realism and then just focus on that skill. That's what professional athletes do. They don't always play a baseball game, right? They get in and, and they do bucket drills and they're, they're working in the batting cage. They know it's not a real game. What they're doing is with a coach, isolating a particular skill and refining it. And we can do that in law enforcement. We already do it pretty well, I think, on the tactical side. But we need to do it better on using our verbal skills, de-escalation, negotiation, persuasion. And uh, we've really focused on that in my home agency. And it's been paying dividends. And we've also, again, we've built out curricula specifically for street officers and for other entities. And we've taken what we know, packaged it down into one day. And it's better than the, what they would have gotten otherwise. And we've seen a lot of success from that. I just had a flashback to way, way back when I was in university. We, we were part of a high-performance sports group. Um, that's what I did when I was in university. So fun mm -hmm. fact for everybody listening to this because nobody knows <laughs> this yet. I, uh -huh. I, did, uh, I was actually a pole vaulter. Um, so make all your jokes now. Um, but, uh, I did pole vault in university. So that's what, that's what I did in, in psychology, um, with some kin in there too. But one of the things that we did was we had the sports psychologist come in. And one thing that he said that I'll never forget is because we were talking about, you know, uh, these visualization drills, right? Uh -huh. Yes. That's and powerful. He said, I, he said, I want you to stop visualizing. Uh -huh. And I said, and we were like, what? He said, I, I, he's like, we're going away. We're stop. We're not calling them visualization drills anymore. We're calling them imagination drills. And he said, and here's why. When I say to you, visualize something, what do you do? Right? You close your eyes, you look at it and you see it. You see the scenario play out, right? But that's, that's usually the extent of it, Right. There may be some, you may in your mind think of some type of conversation that happens, but that's usually going to be the extent of it. He said, I want you to take it to the next level. I want you to start imagining. I want you to start imagining what, you, what you're feeling. Yeah. I want you to imagine the temperature in the room. I want you to start imagining what you're smelling. I want you to use your olfactory senses. I want you to start using all of your senses in, in imagining the scenario as it's taking place and how you're interacting through that. He said, because when you feel and you're and you're imagining all of these senses coming into play at the same time, it gets you closer to that game time mentality yeah. or, or what's going to actually happen mm -hmm. um, when you need when you need it to work. And we're actually out on the field or you're out on the track or you're out, you know, you're on a call. It's it's the imagining of the entire scenario, not just visualizing one specific aspect of it. So what are your thoughts on that? Not just watching a movie. Yeah. Pla placing yourself there on set. No, it's so there's a lot of science behind that. Um, it's a little more advanced than probably a lot of street officers get in the academy, but there are techniques when you're dealing with somebody who's psychotic where you will definitely lean on all of the senses instead of just trying to talk or show. You, you can ask them, What are you smelling right now? What are you, what are you, what are you tasting right now? What are th five things you notice in the room? You know, and again, um, it's not for every encounter. You wouldn't want to do that on a traffic stop with a felon, but when somebody's in psychosis, 
they're not actively violent, but you can tell they're not there. That those are those are ways you can communicate with people. And so there is this sense of there's a super powerful principle behind activating all of your senses when you're trying to build something new. Yeah, it's crazy. I it's just something I had a flashback to it, and I was like, oh yeah, I, it's interesting. And now we know you're a pole vaulter. Yeah, now you know. Yeah, uh, you... This is what happens when you bring negotiators on, man. We go to <laughs> deep dark places that you didn't even know. Yeah. yeah, yeah. There's so much sexual innuendo that goes into pole vaulting, man. I tell you. Yeah, I just what you? I just so, well, I just I, rammed my pole a into minute, a box man. all day. My daughter, my daughter pole vaults. I don't know if I like this. I don't like. <laughs> okay, gosh, I will never look at track and field the same way again, Adam. Thank you. <laughs> it gets bad. It gets bad. Yeah. Uh, cool, man. Hey, that's a that's an awesome. So we've talked about you know officers showing up to calls, um, ways that they can use active listening, um, starting to use that tactical empathy when they're we're in that, and then how we're building that into our training. What's what's the next step? Like, where do we where do we go from here? If if you're an Maybe you're a junior officer or, you know, you're getting in on the job. Maybe you've been in five, 10 years now. Um, I mean, there's guys that want to, there's, you know, being a negotiator is always, it's kind of, it's always one of those things, right? It's kind of like being a SWAT operator. You know, it's, it's one of those specialized positions that some people are like, I want to get there at some point in my career. If somebody's listening to this and they want to start building up their, their resume to, to get into a specialized position like uh, negotiation. How do they go about doing that? That's a great question because we we want to recruit more officers into law enforcement, and then within that, like me as a negotiator, I want to recruit more officers away from the SWAT guys and into negotiations because it's cool, but you don't get as many toys, so it's tough. It's a tough sell sometimes. This is what you should know. Uh, we know what makes a good negotiator, and I'm like ripping this straight from. Uh, the National Crisis Negotiator Association guidelines and the FBI guidelines is we want to volunteer. So you already got that. We want a high level of self-control. You need an ability to remain calm under stress. You need excellent interpersonal communication skills. Wait for that, by the way. Calm and confident demeanor. Okay, now here's the payoff. Good listener and interviewer. And then works well in a team concept. So I'll just focus on the listening. You should, uh, if you truly want to be an excellent candidate for crisis negotiator and also accelerate your craft as a police officer on the street, especially in specialized patrol or investigations, you should really study the eight active listening skills and you should find somebody that can mentor or coach you within your agency or at least locally or somehow, even over the internet. Um, it's just, it, it must become knowledge turned into skill refined and honed down to your habit of how you communicate with people. And then when you're in a stressful encounter, it's just, that's how you react. You're going to address the emotion, summarize the issue, reflect on the main idea, and then make a persuasive appeal. Like it's just, that's just your second nature. If you're trying to read out of a book while you're at that on the door stoop, right? It's just not going to work. It's just got to be your natural way you communicate with people is listen first. So that's, that's my recommendation. Another really nice thing to do would be go find a mental health training, whether it's CIT or mental health first aid for law enforcement, or some uh, comparable or comparable kind of training. That is critical for understanding human emotion and what can cause it. That's what I look for in a candidate for my team. A lot of people think you need like a psychology degree to to kind of get into negotiation, right? Because it is such a high level oh, thing. Man. But Yeah. You can get too high level though. I mean... I want Dr. Andy Young on my team, but I don't want a whole team of Dr. Andy Youngs. And Dr. Andy Young can tell you the same dang thing, I'm sure. I know I because I've talked to him. You want that specialized knowledge, but in general, not everybody needs that. If you can just meet people where they're at and be comfortable with yourself, just being authentic with them and let them tell their story, you don't need a degree in psychology. And in fact, you'll learn a lot about human psychology that way. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell us on myself, since you were kind enough to reveal that you're a pole vaulter, <laughs> so my degree is actually in ancient philosophy oh. and that, that prepared me to be a great cop once you get past all the highfalutin book knowledge once you really understand how to ask good questions and really wonder about why things are the way they are you can become an excellent investigator and interrogator and also what you'll find is you can really get good at meeting people where they're at and getting a sense of what their their capabilities and their motivations are and that's critical for getting a tactical advantage in a street encounter 
two things. One, I want to bring this up real fast because I have to, because it was the funniest thing that ever happened to me um, in university. But because now that you say that you're <laughs> philosophy, because it, it had story. to do with philosophy for sure. It did. So we sit down in the, in this philosophy. It was just, it was like a base level psychology or philosophy class, like philosophy one hundred and one. Yeah. Yeah. Well, learning, yeah. You know, um, learning about arguments. Um, and so, but what happened in the class was we literally sat down this one day and people are going to laugh when they hear this, but literally this was the entire day we sat down and we had to argue whether and like about a lamp, literally a lamp. It's like, what is a lamp? What constitutes a lamp? Does a lamp have to be run of with electricity? What about <laughs> an oil lamp? And then yeah. somebody pipes up and literally goes, does the lamp even exist? And then yes, sitting there's there, that guy. And then we're sitting there for 40 minutes to discuss. And I literally got up and I walked out and I was like, this is the reason I hate university. Yeah. I, was like, I was like, come on. So anyway, that's, that's my experience with philosophy classes. So, uh, and that's my hatred for like uh, what philosophy can be because now you're never going to get to the good stuff. Like yeah. if that's where you start people, you're never going to get to like Aristotle and learn that there's three ways to persuade ethos, logos and pathos that's the stuff you're like okay that i can use that i like but yeah you're arguing about a lamp who ain't nobody got time for that no um but going back to what you were saying about listening and active listening i'll attest to this myself that even if you are a horrible listener it is a learned skill some people are born with it some people can sit and listen to people for hours oh you're I preaching i love this i am not at all. I mean, I, people that know me, the reason why I got into podcasting and, and doing this show was because literally my friends sat me down and they're like, well, you don't shut up. So why don't you just do a podcast and <laughs> make something out of it? So the hardest thing for me when I started doing this was taking that, those skills that I learned in, in the interrogation and interviewing courses in yeah. psychology and sitting there and actually when I'm interviewing somebody, stopping just talking all together and actually listening to what the person's saying. And it's, it's a learned skill and it's freaking hard, man. Like mm-hmm. learning how to, to stop yourself. Cause everybody wants to fill the dead space. Um, I like to say, right. So if, if yeah. we're talking and I ask you a question, well, if I ask you a question, it may, you may answer it immediately, or it may take you 30 seconds to come to formulate your response. That space is that person needs that space you can't jump back in with another question just because they didn't answer it quick enough. And I think that's one of the hardest skills to learn, but also one of the most important. It is the skill of skills, Adam, every skill you've ever learned, you've learned by listening to somebody that was knowledgeable and capable. And if you can master listening, there's not much you can't do with other people. And there's not many doors that can't open for you in developing other skill sets. It's just, that's how critical it is. And I know we're probably getting out of time here. So I just want to get real serious with your listeners and with, and with you and with me. We, we have to be better listeners in law enforcement. When we look at the epidemic of self-harm that's in our organizations and in our industry, uh, one possible solution would be we start listening to each other better. So, of course, I'm advocating for listening in a crisis hostage negotiation. And, of course, now, you know, I'd love cops to use it at the door window and the house window. But we got to start using it in the squad room. We guys are listening to each other and see what's going on with each other and make a deep connection with our brothers and sisters that is on the basis of their story and not what we think their story is because we're all alone, even though we work with five other cops every day of the week, you know, and that, that can't go on. We have to start taking care of ourselves and our, and our colleagues much better. And then certainly at home with our families as well. Yeah, I'm going to take that one one step further. There's actually um, just recently there was an officer uh, in Toronto who took his own took his own life. Um, You may have saw my the posts all up on LinkedIn on that. Um, It's when you hear that story, it was it's it's tragic to begin with, but it's it's just so much more exacerbated by the fact that he, you know, the the officer had suffered some massive losses in his own in his personal life. He had suffered some major credit, like massive life-changing incidents on the job yeah. just previously. Um, and, you know, when you talk about flags, like, holy shit, man. Like, it, and all, everyone was saying, like, yeah, he was going through a hard time. He was going through a hard time. It's, we have to get past that, 
that recognition stage of, okay, well, I'm recognizing that this person's having issues to what the fuck are you doing about it? Right. And actually putting some of that and making a change, doing something either to help them or to get them help or, or to do something because, you know, as, as uh, like, like you were saying, listening is important. Recognition is important, but then being able to act on it is, is, is the crux of the whole issue. It's, it doesn't matter how much, you know, you could be the smartest fucking person in the world, pardon my French, but if you don't share that knowledge with somebody else, then what good is it? So, I mean, that's anyway, right. that's my choice. It just, it's something that really hit home for me. I know I have a lot of friends um, in with Toronto and, and in Ontario and it, it, it's, it's a, it's a horrible time for them up there. And, and my thoughts and prayers go out to, to that officer and their family and, and the entire Toronto police department. But uh, yeah, and, 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 and now it's upon us to, to know that that's not a Toronto problem, right? That's definitely not that guy or that gal you're working with them now. You know, I've been, I've been a cop for about 20 years. Um, we've been, I've been blessed, knock on wood. I've never lost a colleague in the line of duty, but I have lost colleagues to their own hand numerous in the time that I've been on the department. And so we have to start recognizing if we're all about risks and threats and going home at the end of the night and being well and safe, then we have to recognize that that is, that's a global proposition. We have to start listening to each other. And when you check in on somebody, you can't just say, Hey, are you doing okay? You have to actually say, man, I can tell you're not yourself. How bad do you feel right now? Cause then they believe you that you're down for that story right now. And, and, and be careful of your setting too. make it a private setting where they can disclose. And we have to get, I think also, and this is a separate thing and it's, uh, it's maybe it's another podcast ish, uh, edition, but we've got to be, get comfortable going to see, seeking out mental health professionals because mental health stepping up their game. I go to a counselor. I see a licensed therapist and I'm okay with that. I'm, I'm glad that your listeners know that. And I found a guy that specializes in trauma and law enforcement and veterans. And it's, it's made a huge difference in my life. And and there, and guess what? I'm still a cop. <laughs> like that, those two things aren't mutually exclusive. If you've been on 20 years and you don't think you need to see a, a licensed, uh, unqualified mental health professional, then God bless you. You've had a better career than me, man. We see so much stuff that can't be unseen. You got to take care of your mind too, and that that's how you take care of your family. Yeah, I think it goes back to to what you said at the beginning of our talk too, which is you know when you show up and these people are full of emotion. I mean. For the majority of calls, I mean, and, and everybody listening to this knows it, and it doesn't matter if you're in law enforcement or if you're fire rescue or you're a paramedic or right, right. You're, you're, or if you work in healthcare and you work at the hospital, you basically interact with society on like the worst day or one of the worst days of their life. And that's, and it's repetitive, you know, it's, and people don't realize the, the, the toll that takes on people is, is, you know, you're constantly having to, to interact and and learn how to deal with people when their emotions are peaked. Right. And it's, 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 it can be extremely stressful. And, you know, we have so many men and women in uniform that are so fantastic at, at being able to do the job when they have to do it. And, but there, we also have to recognize that, you know what, even though they may seem like superheroes, everybody knows that person that's on their shift that like responds to every single call, knows what to do every single time. It seems like nothing phases them. And then they never check in on them because they're like, ah, oh, they're, you know. Yeah, they got to figure good. it out. He's fucking good. He knows what he's like. He can handle anything, but they don't know what's really going on. Um, and, and I think that's a great point because we have to start realizing that, you know what? Everybody here is human. They're not, you know, no one's a superhero. It, it affects everyone in different ways. Yep. And, um, and I think it was a really important topic to bring up. So thank you for, uh, thank you for bringing that up, dude. Dude. Yep. It was my pleasure. And I'm glad you and I are, you and I are right on this path, man. We see it. So before we kick off here, um, and like you said, there's, there's so many topics that we can, we can speak to, and we're definitely going to have you back on. So, um, so stay tuned for that. Everybody We'll we'll have uh, Dan back on the show, but, before yay. we kick everybody out, yeah, yeah, I'll, uh, the I'll people input, rejoiced. I'll, I'll put some cheers. I'll, uh, I'll, uh, edit uh, yeah, make it sound good, man. Yeah, make it That's sound right. good. That's right. Um, <laughs> you have a couple books, and going back to the topic of listening, you have two books, Life or Death Listening and The 28 Laws of Listening. Do you want to yeah. just give us a quick, uh, Cole's notes of each of what those are about? I mean, I think I have a pretty good idea, but 
what they're about and, uh, and how people can get a hold of them. Uh, the first one, Life Death Listening, that is your best practices. That lays out the eight active listening skills, talks about your basic strategies and mindsets. If you want to be a good listener, uh, I tell some stories. Obviously, it has to be a good book for people to read all the way to the end. And it is for a general audience, and it talks about listening globally. So it, you, if you're reading as a cop and you're putting your cop head around these ideas, you'll see the application right away to what you do. But it will also talk about listening at home and, and listening for your wellness. The second one, 28 Laws of Listening, like I'm a serious dude. When I tell you it's critical to take knowledge, to skill, and then convert it to a habit, when you do that, you can actually build a culture. So if you have three or four people that have built a habit of listening on a team, guess what the team's going to be? They're going to have to get on board. Like, we want that too. So you have a, a team that listens. And the 28 Laws of Listening is a 28-day program to build a habit out of good listening. There's a lesson every day and homework every day to put it in the motion. That's awesome. And it's on Amazon, in Kindle, and in paperback. And I'm happy to announce recently, within the last two months, it's now available on Amazon in Canada. So, perfect. How about that, eh? <laughs> oh gosh, there, there we go. There's the stereotype. You, uh, I made it all the way to the end, though. That's impressive. It is impressive. No Molson um, jokes. No Labette Blue jokes. <laughs> No, no hockey jokes. <laughs> no hockey jokes. Um, Actually, I kind of like hockey, but whatever. Well, there you go. What's your team? Uh, we have a local team here. Uh, it's uh, independently. Uh, it's EHL, I think, ECHL. The okay, yeah. yeah. You, you, yeah. You, you realize you're talking about the wrong guy about local league. Dude, we go – we have every, well, I know you're, all your you local teams What you have for football, we have for hockey up here. I know, I know. Um, so I'm a casual fan. There Even you go. in America, so there you go. You guys would probably just send me off to the Yukon or something and get rid of me. <laughs> um, you're on the cadre with NTOA, but you also have uh, your own business, Leadercraft, um, that I know you do training and stuff for. So, yeah. what do you what do you do with Leadercraft? And uh, and if somebody's interested in in hiring you to come in and and speak or to train, what what's that all about? Uh, I'll, I'll say two things here. Uh, Leadercraft, you can go to www.masterlistener.com. I do keynotes at conferences or internal corporate events. I do uh, coaching over the internet for listening and negotiating. Uh, you can find links to the books there as well. And then I also consult internally with companies that want to build cultures of listening and negotiating. That includes obviously what I call workshops or training. Um, the other thing that I want to say here is I did that because I developed a passion for this, being a cop. And you can't be a cop forever. And so I would just encourage, if you're out there and you're an officer, no matter what your passion is, look for a way that you can do that when you leave the force and give back to law enforcement, but also uh, support you and your family and make, make the real money out in the private sector. Uh, my buddy, uh, Scott Savage, calls them officerpreneurs. And I think that's a fantastic way to look at it is convert your passion into a paycheck. You can't be a cop forever. <laughs> we're gonna we'll get some shirts made up and send them off to scott oh dude yeah <laughs> okay, shout well, out to scotty and savage training group he's the man i love him uh he was just on uh, the first episode we did of the instructors roundtable on use of force and defensive tactics so scott's uh scott's one hell of a trainer too um as i know as i know you are i mean it's nice because and going back to what you just said about you know taking your passion of what you're doing and, and taking that into the civilian side of things People have to re- like you have to realize if you're listening to this, and even if you've only been in law enforcement for a, a few years or now 20, 25, 30 years, some of you, you're sitting here listening to this. You've you don't realize how much of a a base of knowledge that you have that's mm, yeah. so valuable to yeah. to people, especially on the corporate side of things, um, and or to, to just other fellow officers or other industries like security and things like that. There's, you have such a knowledge, even if you don't see yourself as, you know, you're, maybe you're not an instructor or a trainer in your agency, that doesn't mean you don't have something useful to share or a skill set that you've picked up that's extremely useful. So, I, you know, I did, a, I just did a talk, another interview that hasn't come out yet, but we talk a lot about building your network. And, yeah. and while, you're, while you're still in, build that, you know, nurture those relationships that you have. Don't burn your bridges with people and, and keep, just keep building these, this network of, of connections from 
well, your agency in your, in your province, your state, in your country, um, and, and keep those, keep, you know, touch base with people every now and again, because you never know when, you know, you never know when your time in uniform is going to end. It could be by your choosing. So true. Not. So true. Have something, have something set. And, and you and I talked about this right before we got on the call, um, was this brotherhood of law enforcement, military emergency response is different than any other group in the world. You can't, it, there's no other group that's so supportive of each other. You don't have to know somebody to, to help them. I had a guy reach out to me yesterday. He hosts, speaking of um, trauma response, uh, he hosts a podcast. Um, it's called Operation Tango Romeo. He's out of Alberta, Canada. And there, it's specifically about PTSD, mm-hmm. um, trauma response, supporting active duty and veteran members. Um, and he reached out to me and I literally, I was like, here's everything that I can do. And I, I passed them off to all these people. And without even me having to say anything, people that have never met him before, they're like, this guy's helping, helping us. We're, I'm going to help him. And it's, it, it, there's no other real industry in the world that you get that as much as we do um, with ours. So take advantage of it. Anyways, that's yeah. my, that's my hop on, hop on LinkedIn, man. Scott Savage is there. You're there. I'm there. Jared Hardy. I can name all these guys. Patrick, I love, I love me some LinkedIn. There. Just get on LinkedIn, dude. There is a community of law enforcement officers there who are still working on our craft if we're still active duty, but we're also setting up the next thing, the next adventure. And so if you're like, Oh man, that's speaking to me right now. We'll, we'll join us and figure out what that thing is for you. Because, like, I, I can't say any better than you did. You have skills that are marketable. You have skills that people want to hire you for. You got to figure out what it is. And you got to learn how to package it and translate it for the private sector. And then, and this is the last thing, you have to learn how to ask what you're worth. That's really hard for cops, but you, you have to learn that. And there are people that will hold your hand right through that process. Yeah, and if, and if you're having trouble figuring that out, man, just reach right out to me. Mm-hmm. Um, reach out to Dan, you know, Yo. I mean, you can find us both on LinkedIn. Um, and, uh, also too, if you guys, if you're listening to this, you want to get a hold of Dan, um, and you can't really, or, or it's something a little bit more specific, feel free to, uh, to shoot me a message and I'll, uh, I'll put you in touch. If you're a trainer or you you want him to come in and speak with your agency, just yeah. let me know. And I'll, um, I'll pass that. I'll, I'll connect you guys. So, uh, Dan, Dan, listen, man, I appreciate you taking the time, brother. Um, it's been an honor speaking with you and I'm excited to, to have you back on the next time we get a chance. Um, is there any, any last, last tidbits, last piece of advice that you want to leave uh, the listeners here? Nah, listen like a master, go home at the end of your shift and then thrive after that, man. My blessings to you and I accept your generous offer to come back when the time's right. Love it. All right, man. We'll, uh, we'll talk to you soon, brother. Stay safe. All right. All right, that's a wrap with our boy Dan. If you enjoyed the content, if you want to learn more about what Dan is doing with LeaderCraft and uh, get some skills for your agency or department on negotiations and communication, make sure to click the links in the show notes below to get access to him or visit us on the website. And uh, make sure to subscribe to the podcast. We're going to have a lot of episodes coming up here in the very near future, and uh, you're going to want to get in on those. So subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast player. Make sure to check us out on YouTube as well. At the end of the month, this month, April 30th, we're going to be doing our instructor's roundtable on active threat response. So we're really excited about that. That's going to be April 30th at 6 p.m. Central Time. You can check that out at thebreakdown.ca forward slash IRT or on our YouTube Tactical Breakdown podcast. We'll see you next time. Stay safe.